All right, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Race to the Finish. Uh, I'm your host, Carlos. Uh, so you've joined us for several episodes so far, and I really hope you enjoyed the first two. And so with this week, I'm bringing on my friend Manny. And uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Manny Brown. I use the pronouns they, them, theirs. And I'm super excited to speak with you all tonight, um, specifically around generational curses and cycles and how they affect certain aspects of the family and kind of like diving deeper into what that could look like and how that could change within the next few years. So, yeah. Wow. So that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, you know, that's always a good thing. And, and, you know, generational cycles, I'll admit, is not something that I've really dove into. I'm sure, you know, it's, it's, it's around us in some way, but, you know, I'm really excited to get to know what, what the heck you're talking about, you know? And, and, you know, but before we get into all of that, like, tell me, tell, I guess like, let, let me know and like, let the listeners know, like, you know, how you been? Like, what's, what, what's been going on with you? Yeah, cool. I have been, well, more recently, I've been better than uh, I had been. Um, like coming out of graduation from undergrad, I've been feeling like down and like kind of lost my sense of purpose. But this past week, I went to a conference that um, relit the light in me. And so it's just nice feeling like myself again and feeling confident um, in the path that I'm going, especially heading off to graduate school in San Diego in like three weeks and um, getting all of that together. So right now I'm feeling really great and really bright and li lively. That's so good to hear, especially since like leaving college, you get really disconnected with 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 those things, you know, and 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 it's good to hear that you're that you're still connected. With yeah, all absolutely. Of that. So yes. You're excited to go to San Diego, huh? Very um, is it, proving to be more difficult finding apartments from like halfway across the country, but yeah, I'm getting there. You know, we're getting closer to the finish line. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a I'm good at procrastinating. So I'm just hoping something falls in my lap. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All know. right. So, generational cycles. From I guess the from the top, like what is it? Like what is it that you're talking about? <sighs> So to kind of like describe it, I'm thinking of when you're looking at families, um, specifically like families of marginalized identities, mm -hmm. why it's so difficult for them to get to a point of success, specifically like looking at the large gap between um, the top 10% and the bottom 90. Why is it so hard and why like for them to reach that top 10 and why is the gap so large? Okay. Um, and kind of thinking about the disadvantages that comes with not having access to proper channels in order to break that cycle and they're just stuck. So kind okay. of just, what I would like to do is kind of like analyze, okay, what are some ways that this is happening and how maybe what are some tools we could provide to break them in certain aspects? Okay, so I guess what I understand from what you're saying is, are we talking about class, like social, socioeconomic class? Is that what we're really focused on when we're when we're referring to generational cycles, or is it like behavior as well? Like, it, you know, what, like you know what I'm saying? It's it's really all encompassing. Okay. Um. Yeah, but I mean, we could focus on one and then move to the other. But I think mostly looking at socio socioeconomic class. 
um, or status, it would be kind of the first step because that's really the piece that's holding a lot of people back. Right. And, and I feel like, well, <laughs> in a capitalistic economy, you know, money yeah. talks and yep. people unfortunately that's the first gate of, of of approving something you know like how much does it cost or what is it costing me and so i know i, I guess taking a taking a guess of what you're telling me is let's let's take let's take a look at poverty right and i would talk mm-hmm. to folks around me you know about how certain ethnicities certain racial groups and all of that uh, have a harder time moving up the socioeconomic class uh, mm-hmm. hierarchy or whatever you want to call it and it's because, you know, there's a lack of access to certain, you know, resources or education and all of that. Well, the reason why I bring up the whole idea of a capitalistic economy is that we're so used to, how can you say, uh, this idea that you have to pull yourself up from your bootstraps, right? Mm-hmm. This whole American dream thing. And yep. we know that it works, you know, statistically speaking, for, you know, folks who are white, right, as opposed to folks who um are people of color you know what i'm Mm -hmm. saying and so what would you say to that to the folks that would say you know like yeah you should pull yourself up to your bootstraps like how do generational cycles clash or or relate to the idea of generational cycles so that's the difficult part because a lot of people would think it's more individual individualistic rather than systemic Uh and the system is really the one or the the factor that's like pushing people down and keeping them in that space um one of the barriers that i think a lot of people don't take into consideration is education um especially a quality education i usually i like often think about myself and how i was privileged enough to go to an affluent university and receive a quality education which has allowed me to bring knowledge back into my community and i'll like also allow me to remove myself from that community and i'm one step ahead um than a lot of people in my family. So when we're providing access to education, we're providing an opportunity for um, marginalized identities to break that cycle, but not a lot of Mm -hmm. communities have that same channel of access to education. Um, And really thinking about too, a lot of white people to be general come from affluent families and that's not to say that there aren't those who are struggling but there are a lot of them that have um a high class background that come from money and it's easier for them to pick themselves back up whereas other folks is harder um and more difficult because they don't have that same once again like that same access right so there there are a lot of things to take into consideration when thinking about picking oneself back up because yes i do agree that like the individual is responsible but also the system makes it difficult for any individual that doesn't have like a certain privilege to get there right right and and a big issue that i take with you know a lot of folks out there who are solely live by that whole principle that we need to pick ourselves up for our bootstraps is because you know yeah like 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 you just said manny like yeah, we do have an obligation to look out for ourselves. You know, it, it, that is something that 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 ne- does does need to happen. But you know, there's also nothing wrong with recognizing what's holding you back mm-hmm. or the obstacles that may be in your way. And there's nothing wrong with recognizing it as unfair. You know, yeah. and you know, I, I I guess something that I think about too is 
I think it's important to take into consideration of proportions within our population. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we're talking about this because I'm having flashbacks to a conversation I had with somebody totally different. Uh, <laughs> and and we were kind of going back and forth about this whole thing, about whether or not, you know, this whole idea of victimization. And if and I'm on the side of like, no, there's you know, that's not there's not really so much of this thing called self victimization. If you just recognize what is holding ethnic groups back, you know, or 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 that or um, entire demographics, is this what I meant to say? And he's like, well, no, you just got to have hope. You got to continue to work harder. And it's like, well, the point that you're missing here is that certain people have to work harder as opposed mm-hmm. to other people. And it goes to your point that like a lot of white folks come from money, you yeah. know, and, and where I'm going with this is that he counteracted that point with, well, there's also a lot of white folks who don't come from money. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, if you look at the numbers, and I love when people say that because they're <laughs> ignoring other numbers too. Yeah. And they said, if you look at the numbers, there are more white people in poverty than there are black people in poverty. And I said, oh my God, you don't understand how many people, how many times I've heard that before. It's the percentages of what matter. The percentages, there are more, there are more black folks. There are more Latinx folks living in poverty. If you take into account the entire population of our demographics, yes. as opposed to the entire white population, there are more white folks who come from money than there are, um, you know, white folks who don't have or don't come from money. You see what exactly. I'm saying? Yeah. And so while we may be outnumbered, right, the per- percents and the proportions, we outnumber that. It, unfortunately, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I think this whole idea and 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 You'll see where I'm going with this. This is why I want, I want to bounce this idea off of you. I think this whole idea of pulling ourselves up from our bootstraps and and thinking that it's all individual and we don't look out for each other is what's actually perpetuating this whole cycle of um, anguish or, mm-hmm. or lack of opportunity. You see what I'm saying? I yeah. really don't have the answers. I don't have the words. I'm not an expert about this. Same. But that's just what I feel. You know? I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that we've allowed ourselves to believe that it's on us to get where we want to go. Um, but that's not the case at all. Um, and I know, like, speaking for myself, I wouldn't be, have had the opportunity to get where I am, like, or where I'm going in three weeks without the support of those, like, on my undergraduate campus or, like, the friends in my life who've helped um, cultivate my, like, mm-hmm. success. So it's... It's taking into account that, like, no, we can't do it by ourselves. Um, and we, don't, we shouldn't have to. But like you said, we've allowed ourselves to believe that it's on us. And that perpetuation of, like, self, self-success or not, I don't, like, I, and I can't even put it into words. But just, yeah, no, it's not on us at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, like, this whole thing of ignoring ignoring sociology or ignoring society's role in all of this is yes. is is almost it's it's very dangerous you know to think that oh we have to go through this alone you know right. in fact if you look at the data um uh if we so how can i make this relevant so when we're talking about generational cycles one thing that holds us back is this i i bring up i feel like i bring up mental health in like every episode and i think it's because it's it's a passion point of mine but yeah. statistically speaking the black and latinx community 
are underdiagnosed for mental um, uh, mental issues or mental mm-hmm. mental illnesses, right? Yeah. And so, because of that, if we look at the criminal justice system, if it, a lot of people who are in jail or prison have a, a, um, a difference in cognition, mm-hmm. and so I, I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of twenty one. And it made everything a lot more clear, right? But if I, that didn't happen at that exact point in time, I seriously don't know where I would be, right? right? So yeah. statistically speaking, if we look at the statistics, we take someone like myself, um, uh, a Latino. Statistically speaking, I shouldn't be in college. I should be dead or in jail. You know, mm-hmm. of course, I didn't come from an environment that that would happen. So I would say I'm an outlier, but. I'm also part of another statistic where I suffer from a mental, a mental, I don't like calling ADHD a mental illness. It's a mental difference, but I'm not Mm going to get into that. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but the thing is, is that a lot of people who look like me, a lot of people who speak like me and, and, and come from maybe similar backgrounds as me are in jail right now. Mm -hmm. And they aren't being treated. And I'm not saying treated like, nicely i'm saying treated with like the proper medical professionals or practices and how do we expect them to i guess you can say better their own lives if they don't have access to those things i think that's a very extreme example right and so how that all ties in is that there's a reason why we're underdiagnosed when it comes to mental illness Mm -hmm. and i feel like it comes from the generations before us Oh yes, how they had to deal with a lot, right? And you know, a mm-hmm. lot, a, a lot of folks that just got over it or or cope with it every single day when they didn't have access to those channels. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of folks that I feel like we don't recognize yes. that didn't make it through, that aren't making it through, and we just kind of look at them as mentally weak or not strong enough to get themselves through the end of the day. And so, if we're passing that on to our kids, to our children. I feel like that also perpetuates this whole thing of uh, generational cycles of, you know, holding people back. Is that relevant? Mm. You know, everything yeah, I just said. Extremely, or? yes. Oh, uh, it made absolute like sense. Um, especially like thinking about mental illness and how it's not even discussed in like communities of color, um, unless it's coming from right, unless it's coming from like an educational perspective, like it's not discussed. Um, and unless something very dire happens, it doesn't, it's not even treated. Um, and just thinking about like the, the piece of like holding each other back, they're not allowing themselves to be vulnerable enough so that they can um, mm-hmm. act or not even access, but just at least seek out like treatment um, so that they can move forward. And I'm just thinking about um, like they're just literally just ignoring it and just. Um, saying it'll pass or um anything in between rather than just like hitting it head on because they felt like as if like they're already suffering enough what's one more thing they need to add to the list right and what do you what do you so we we laid out a lot of examples of how the the struggle can go on through generations i feel like a lot of people don't understand that like what are some other ways that struggle does transfer itself throughout generations so I'm think like in reflection of uh, preparing for this conversation, I was thinking about uh, my own experience and how I felt kind of pressured to be like the sole glue for the family as I'm moving up within my own like 
social ladder. Um, like I'm moving all the way across the country and I still have this sense of responsibility for making sure everyone is okay and able to, you know, um, do what they need to do. Um, and like, I'll share that, like, there have been a couple of, of family emergencies that I've had to completely, like, shut off everything um, and be present in that moment. Will I be able to do that in California? No, no, not at all. And I've just been thinking, how have we as a society allowed these cycles to place that, and I hate to call it a burden, but that is what it is, this burden on top of one soul or a couple of soul pieces of the family and mm-hmm. not allow them to fully engage in their own experiences and their own privilege and privilege in the sense of they were able to get where they needed to go and i know for me once i get where i need i want to give back to my community and my family not many people want to do that and um it's important to recognize that but it's also important to recognize that there are those that still want to give back to their community and realize that not everything is peaches and cream once you get to where you need to go. Um, And capitalism creates greed and creates selfishness. And once you get that taste... Greed is the engine. Exactly. Um, And once you get a good taste, it's hard to stop eating it. Yeah. Yeah, and if anything, like... And that's something I eat... I feel like we're going to get into this realm, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) I feel like when it comes to capitalism, you know, we are all born into it right? It is what we know. I know, you know, myself, I am, I lean to, I lean to socialism. I'm not afraid to, to, to admit that. I'm not going to come out and say I am a socialist, right? And it's, it, it, it comes out to, and and as much as I would like to claim that title, to me, it comes down to like, well, I was born in this country. I have no idea what it's like to live in a socialist country. I didn't Mm -hmm. have a socialist education. I wasn't, you know, I, all of that was not put into my head as a baby, right? So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to just study socialism for four years and and just automatically claim it. I feel like that's ignorant. Where I'm going with that is with capitalism, I feel and what I notice is that we are bred and we are trained to consume. How does capitalism perpetuate itself through these gen- through the generations? You know, like a- as we become like our generation becomes a lot more. Uh, aware of these things is it a problem or is it something good no it's definitely an issue um and one example i'm thinking of is how um and once again to be general communities of color purchasing like designer brands and spending um boatloads of money on like these material things Uh um and furthering the like capitalist ideals of those companies rather than like giving back to their own communities and uplifting themselves but Mm -hmm. i'm really also thinking about too how there's that added pressure um let's say because in my experience there have been a lot of people who have come from the city of cleveland to the suburb of warrensville heights and um seeing the the differences that warrensville heights like children had versus like the access that they had and how they had to adapt quickly um, because they did have the latest iPhones. They did wear the latest brands. Whereas Mm -hmm. back in their other school, none of that was like really prevalent. Um, So how do they navigate that, that added pressure to be something that they're not necessarily used to. Um, And then getting stuck once you like 
adding more debt to the family or things like that. Mm. Um, and then also thinking about, too, with capitalism, I think they're structuring our institutions to make it seem as if we all need a college degree. So we're all thinking, OK, we need to go to college and then yeah. we're further putting ourselves in debt, which is hard to pay off. Um, because thousands and thousands of dollars, it's hard to get a job right out of college. Like right now, I have friends who are struggling um, figuring out what they want to do because they can't get a job. Even though we know they're highly qualified, it's very difficult. So it's um, the idea that they have to stay in school, go get a master's or two um, before they can even really get into the career field. It's hard. <laughs> What I know, oh my God, is the fact that you said or two is so real. Like, yeah, because that's the standard now is that if you want a good paying job to provide for your family, chances are is that you're going to have to get a master's degree. Yep. Even, even me, like, I, you know, I'm not like yourself where I needed to go off and, and, and go, go on to grad school, right? Because yeah. I thought, hey, I can make it with a bachelor's degree. And so far, I'm doing really well for myself. I am. But I, I do feel the the pressure around me. It's like, oh, well, what am I going to do when I'm 30? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do like when I'm at 40? Like, I, I think that far ahead of things. And, and, yeah. and I, I like that about myself, but I see it as a curse, too, because I give myself a lot of anxiety, uh, you know, because of that. And yeah. I do feel the pressure. It's like, oh, I have to go get a master's degree. Right. And so yeah. when it comes down to, you know, if we're going to make it relevant to the whole generational cycles. Right. And for what I understand is I feel like there are a lot of things that are passed down throughout generations unintentionally. My parents are immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And they didn't they don't know what an American education system is like. It's very different than in El Salvador, right? Where um it's not we don't we don't even go to school. You know, we don't even get like the same level of, edu- of education for the same amount of years at a time. Like it's it's not like that. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> I was on Reddit the other day and someone asked a question. They said, what do you hate most about being the first child? And I commented and I said, well, I'm pretty much the beta test for the next one. Yeah. And <laughs> and it, 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 the, the first example that I think of is education. You know, yeah. my expectation was you need to go to college, you need to graduate and get yourself a good job. All of which are, I, I have nothing wrong with those expectations. The thing is, after graduating, I see a lot of my friends who didn't go to college, who are doing as well or better than I am, you mm-hmm. know, with by just going to trade school or maybe not even going to trade school, starting their own thing. Yep. And it's like, how come we're not trained to think that way? How come mm-hmm. how come we're automatically thought how, how come we're automatically trained to believe that? We must go to college and get the top-notch education to get a job that pays as much as somebody that just wants to be an electrician. And there's nothing wrong with those two careers anyways. Right. But we're conditioned to think that an electrician is of less value than somebody that goes to get a master's degree in whatever you want. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. To, to me, I think that's unintentional. Like, what, 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 say, what do you say about that? Like, what do you think? Like, I definitely agree. I think... It started off with like, okay, you can go to university, you can do a trade, you could not do anything, just have your high school diploma and like figure it out on your own. But then as time went on, they, meaning like kind of just society, wanted to more, structure it more. And that's not how it should be. Because um, humans in, in reality, we are not a structured people. We all think differently. 
we oh, yeah. all act differently and that and that being said we all shouldn't be forced to go to college and as i've learned like college is not for everyone yeah um and people are able to find what works best for them in different channels um like there have been friends of mine who started in college dropped out and are living their best life um there are cousins i have that only have their high school diploma and are like doing really good for themselves um like i know for me i would not be able to live on my own right now um or at least in the last like two and a half years i would not have been able to live on my own um and have been able to take care of myself structurally because yeah i was in school i was paying tuition um paying an expensive phone bill um and just trying to take care of myself like i could barely buy groceries every month because i had to literally stretch it out because you know work study is only but so much you know and that's only my experience but just thinking about like how did we even get to the point where we wanted to structure education so much that it just doesn't allow flexibility anymore Mm -hmm. and i kind of see where you're coming from too like yeah humans we are not um how can you say i feel like humans are not meant to be on a conveyor belt (laughs) or an assembly line yeah it's if we just look at it i think the the easiest way to explain it for time's sake is that humans we know more about outer space than we do about our own brains. With that, you know, I guess what I wanted to ask you is what what is what are some experiences that you've had with this phenomenon of general cycle, generational cycles? Yeah, so okay, so as I expressed, um I have been able to kind of like break that cycle um for my family, but only um in little pieces. I'm still breaking it and I've noticed mm-hmm. that it's caused a lot of tension um, between myself and other members of my family. Um, and it's not necessarily bad, but there's just a lot of disconnect. They don't understand everything that I'm participating in or um, they're, I feel that. they're not, con- like, not as concerned about my well-being because they, they see that I'm in school. They see that I'm doing... Um, all of this activist work and um, saying all of this, all of these motivational things, but I'm still struggling and like the support of my family could really help. Um, But they just assume that like, because I'm here um, or at this point in my life that like, it's all good. But in reality, like it's not in certain, Mm -hmm. like in certain aspects. And so what, has been tough is allowing myself to be vulnerable and putting myself back in that space and being like yo like i need help like help me um or like talk to me why aren't we like actively communicate communicating with each other why um does it feel like i have this this large disconnect from you all when we used to be so close four years ago Mm -hmm. um and it's just it's been hard like taking a step back and realizing that I'm in a place of privilege now and like I even have to change the way I talk, the way I act around them because they just won't understand. Like let them say something problematic. Um, like so because my family is very um t- they're very prejudiced toward other races. Say something problematic or use like a term that like is a little iffy um when it comes to language, and I'm just automatically like, I'm, I I wanna jump in, I wanna correct you. 
But once I start correcting them, it's like, uh, here he go, or here they go, um, <laughs> again, like using that education to do such and such. But in reality, it's like we have to learn these things. We have to learn how to navigate with people. Um, different from ourselves but we also have to learn how to respect each other's differences and expect that we come from different places and we can't allow stereotypes to just drive our way of thinking and that's a large problem with my um a large problem that i see within my family is that they allow stereotypes or the things that other people tell them to drive how they interact with each other as well as other people as for myself i'm very different whereas i debunk those stereotypes i get to know um, individuals and I don't allow with the media or other people that don't even identify with that identity to create um, an interpretation for me. I want to learn that on my own. Yeah. Um, and that's a part of that disconnect and that, that gap that's being built between us. Um, and I'm learning to accept that I am different from them in the sense of I know my privilege, but I also know when it's time for me to speak up and address those problematic instances that they have. So, so just, there's a lot that I want to react to there because yeah, you brought up a, a lot. lot of different yeah. things that speak to this whole topic that you wanted to come today with. And you started off by saying that you're, that you're working on breaking generational cycles right little by little but then you follow all followed up with all of the all of these ex- experiences that sound like burdens so yeah. how what is so i guess the first part to a two-part question is how how do we go about breaking generational cycles like what is the solution there and is that solution in itself a burden and does that perpetuate the cycle you see what i'm saying yeah and so i think it is a burden um and like as i started with uh, the first step is like providing yourself access with that education um and being able to get into the realm of capitalism and like create your own capitalist understanding um your own capitalist um yeah like your own capitalist understanding and just really utilizing capitalism to uplift your own community um okay and that may look different for everyone like my uh my channel of access was through going to university but um or to a university but it it could be something different for other people like uh through um music or through athletics things like that it doesn't necessarily have to be one way um and it also just thinking about in terms of I'm doing this for my family and not for like the entire like black community or the entire LGBT community. Whereas um, I think it's often interpreted as there are folks who are um, doing these things for everyone. Um, and, and that may be the case, but in my experience or uh, for me, this is for my family and this is for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, as much as I advocate for the identities that I hold, I can't allow myself to be the voice for everyone um, or at least breaking those cycles for everyone. I have to break my own cycle before I can even touch the other ones. Yeah. And in, in I think that model of thinking, it, it exists in so many different places too. Right. 
and this whole idea of um like helping other people right before we help ourselves how could we truly do that if we are not content with ourselves you see what i'm saying yes. like if this whole thing of you know like uh, the idea of self-love you know how can we love somebody else if we don't love ourselves or mm -hmm. the idea of helping people like if we can't help ourselves how can we help out somebody else you know they, that pattern of thinking exists in so many different places and it's all in front of us but we don't see it you know and i guess the second thing that or normally so, don't see it you know and mm -hmm. and the second thing that i want to react to too that you said is using capitalism to uplift our communities right mm -hmm. now we are going back to what you said earlier is that human humans we are very very different and i guess you could say the radical in me wants to say it's like well we shouldn't use capitalism at all we're supposed to be revolutionizing our society we're supposed to be tearing down the establishment and and and, and pushing this other agenda right yeah so why should i feel compelled to use this oppressive system for my own benefit and my own community's benefit if at the end of the day inherently capitalism lives on exploitation wouldn't yeah. i be exploiting another community like why does that make it just you see what i'm saying yeah so kind of what i'm thinking is that the only way we can dismantle capitalism is through within um because attacking it from the outside is so tough especially when um and this is really kind of like our generation which i feel um personally speaking is much more kind of like tear down capitalism we need equality we need um equity essentially a more socialist society um, right. access for everyone um that's our generation that's our fight um and attacking it from the outside has been proven difficult when the older generations are like wait no like our money is important there's no way that we can we can take that away or like do these things like um thinking about kind of like the student debt conversation or making college free um conversation those things um just to provide examples the only way that we can even effectively invite ourselves into the conversations to make change is by getting into those higher positions and actually making the change and i'll give you an example so um i was a or i had the pleasure of being um, a part of the NASPA undergraduate fellowship program. Um, and NASPA is a national organization for higher education student affairs. And this specific program allows um, undergraduate students who are um, of a minor minoritized race, identify as LGBTQ, first generation, have some form of a disability, um, et cetera, to um, come together, learn about higher education student affairs, and then it kind of is like a bridge program into higher education student affairs. So when we're thinking about access, that organization is providing access for those identity or people with those identities to understand higher education student affairs um, and get into the network of student affairs, which then allows them to get into the university, into the institutions and create effective change. Um, for the betterment or the um, better experiences of their students. So that's kind of the, the framework that I'm coming from is providing access. Um, and the only way we can do that is by, by like coming or being within the institution itself and kind of working top down rather than like bottom up. It's, it's tough to think because I struggle with that every single day. 
And it's it's more like I wrestle with myself in my head and I'm like, I want to be able to do all these different things. But am I being really responsible with my own ideologies? And what I was thinking about, you know, after everything you just said is. Capitalism, according to Marx, and maybe I'm not someone will call me out for it if I'm wrong, but (laughs) is that capitalism is a prelude to socialism. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, that it goes to show that, you know, there is truth in that. Yeah. And if we as a generation truly believe in this idea of socialism, whether it be democratic socialism or true to the core socialism, that, yeah, may, we, maybe we do need to climb up these ladders and claim the power for ourselves and then truly make a change. I think the tough part, and like you said earlier on in the episode, though, is that capitalism includes greed. Yep. And so... If we're going to break this this cycle, this genera- generational cycles, if we're really going to truly break it, how do we keep ourselves away from greed? How do we keep our integrity? You see what yeah. I'm saying? I feel like mm-hmm. that's an important question that we're eventually going to have to ask ourselves. And I think that's a question that, like, yeah, like you have to ask yourself, how am I going to remain grounded once I get into that higher position and, and making that 60K salary? Um, yeah. And I know for myself, money means nothing to me. Um, like, it's literally just a means of getting by. I could literally have $100 and give it to someone because they need it and, like, be okay living off of nothing for the next week and a half because they needed it. It means absolutely nothing to me. Um, and that's why I'm really reflecting on, okay, how, how can we allow ourselves to remain grounded um because not everyone thinks like me or not everyone is going to be willing to give up their money like me mm-hmm. um and it's really like to keep it individual it's up to the person um because that greed it gets to you um and once you get it it's up to you with how you use it right oh my gosh it's so much to think about yeah <laughs> and, and yeah. i think a lot of it comes from you know you know, I'm starting to see it now. You know, I told you before we, we started recording the recording the episode is that I never even thought about what generational cycle. In fact, I think I first heard the term from you, you know, eventually when we were talking about an idea for this episode. Yeah. And now I think it's starting to come to me is it's all around us. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 not up to us as individuals to figure everything out for ourselves. Some people get luckily lucky, you know, math is a thing. Probability is a thing. So of course there's going to be those outliers that do figure out everything for themselves, but to expect that an, an entire society is going to do that. Then how do we break the generational cycles? We're not expected to, you know, right. because it, it does link. It does. It really does link to our market economy. It does to, to our system. And, and our system thrives off greed and it yeah. thrives off exploitation. And these generational cycles do need to exist in order for our economy, for our, our lifestyle to thrive. And wow, everything is making sense. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But let's talk about something a little bit more positive is obviously we want to work towards a solution, right? Mm-hmm. So how do change makers I, get, I would consider you a change maker. I would consider myself a change maker. How do we inspire others in our community to make a change within their sel- within themselves, but also within their community, right? We, you know, leaders create leaders. How mm-hmm. do we do that? 
so that's a very difficult question to answer um like very difficult uh i think for me how i've been able to do it is by sharing my story um because it's it's hard being first gen oh, in yeah. college navigating it by yourself it's very difficult um like it's it's just it's hard to answer i can't even I think it's something that I would need to reflect on. How can we, you know? Yeah, I think, and I think that speaks to something too, when it comes to recognizing what generational cycles are all about and what they do is that it's hard to really make it known for other people to recognize it because it's not some, it's something that that affects the individual, but not so much the entire society, right? I yeah. think the effects on the individual create a common trend within the entire society, right? Yeah. And so I guess if we really are going to inspire people, it's like you said, you got to tell your story, but then link it back to what the actual overall phenomena is. Yeah. And then getting people to understand that way. Like you did me! You know, like I, I, like I, I, I didn't understand what what we were gonna get ourselves into now with this episode, but now I understand. You yeah. know where you're coming from. And I think also one of the difficult pieces too is that, like, I know if I were to go back to my family and try to explain this, I would have to put it in a language that's easy for them to understand, and that's difficult Accessible. for me. Yeah, right, and that's difficult for me to process because it's like. There are certain terms that I like to use that are very descriptive for me, but then it's like I will have to break that term down even more, which makes the conversation last longer, which um, kind of incites more questions for them to ask, which I don't know, it creates um, or makes it more difficult. So it's just, I it think can create a part of it too. too, right? Part of it too is just taking your time and realizing that. Um, it may take time for them to understand, so not rushing it and mm-hmm. figuring out the right way to say things. Like, you don't have to say everything all at once. Yeah. And there's a lot of responsibility in ourselves, too, to recognize that. Because, so, like, sometimes when we're talking, it happens to me, I'm very guilty of this. Like, when I'm talking to somebody uh, about, like, social issues, right? And they are they don't get where I'm coming from. And I know that I'm right about what I'm talking about. You know, it could be something very simple as, like, say we're talking about, like, immigration, right? Obviously, it's yeah. not right to be deporting babies back to their home countries to die. Like, that's obviously not something right. But then you have the occasional people that come, you know, and say, like, well, you know, that baby's going to grow up and take my kid's job. It's it, Immediately, I'm like, what? You know, and sometimes people should just address it. Mm-hmm. Some people just walk away from it. Some people have hope in that in those types of people to sit through that and to guide them through that whole journey. You know, yeah. a lot of the times that that person's not me. That what that person was me for years, mm-hmm. and then it just came down to it where I just uh, you know adopted this mindset where it's like if we're going to be talking about human rights. Human rights are not debatable. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like families should not be separated. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be judged on 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 what you identify as. You know what I'm saying? Like those or things who are you're not, an ally for. Exactly. Like you know those those things are not debatable. You yeah. know, and that to me is like, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's also like very emotionally taxing. Yes. When 
you're sitting and trying to explain these things um and it could create frustration for you if you um or if they're not kind of if it's not clicking as quick as you would like it to with them um and just like being patient because patience patience is a very hard thing to have especially when having these difficult conversations for sure so it's i think a lot of it has to do with the space too oh yeah because like the space isn't provided right like it's a lot different when you know you establish a safe space right with like certain Mm -hmm. expectations where you know you're going to be able to have this conversation without you know somebody using a slur or punching you in the face like you know and compared to as when you're in the workplace and you're trying to do your work but then somebody is being a bigot right and no one's telling them anything and then immediately it gets to you it's like okay listen i'm not here to be talking about this like this is not the right place, the right time. And immediately you just get, you get put in the back of your feet, right? The heels of your feet and you're in defense mode, fight or flight mode, like literally. Mm -hmm. And so that to me is like, it comes down to identity, you know, like how are you looked at? Like, how are you perceived and how, and how do you perceive yourself also? Mm -hmm. And it determines all of those things. So I guess, you know, one of the last points that I want to get to that I thought about when it comes to generational cycles is, you know, and I, I don't want to get explicit with this, you know, cause I don't want to put out a content warning or anything, but generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that I've seen discussed all over social media, you know, something discussed with my family, something discussed with my friends, mm-hmm. you know, that, that certain things that our parents go through become ingrained in their behavior. Right. And so eventually our parents went on to have us and those experiences that they experienced that stuck, that stuck within their memory, but don't exist in our brains. We didn't mm-hmm. go through it. Eventually, you know, those actions that are caused by those memories within themselves reflect themselves within the way that we are raised. Right. Yeah. And so an example, the reason I bring that up is when you were talking about your family, right. And yeah. how sometimes they don't understand why you do, you know, get yourself involved with things that the way that you do, like with activism and, and education and mm-hmm. what you study. Right. And it comes down to what well, maybe they don't understand. Well, I guess the way that I relate to that, too, is uh, <laughs> I've had my family tell me, you shouldn't be talking about this on Facebook. You shouldn't be posting about politics on, on, on about all this stuff like and it's not it's not even just a mere suggestion like i've had arguments with my family about this and yeah. it took me the longest time to understand like why are you coming at my neck for like yeah like, like it, this is something i care about like obviously people are like suffering because of these issues like i have a voice you know people listen to what i have to say so of course i'm going to use it mm-hmm. but then i had to really sit down and think about it it's like well where are they coming from and they come from a war torn country where if you say the wrong thing, you're going to get a bullet in your head. And these are all things that they have lived, that they they experienced. And so I kind of had to take a step back and reflect and try to understand where they're coming from. And while things may not be as extreme here, where they certainly have the capacity to, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. On a grand scale, I still have to come and think about that. You know, and I feel like that's a way that I've broken that generational cycle little by little is by coming to that understanding. I'm, I'm able to navigate myself in a way yeah. that my parents can accept, but also in a way that I, that I can accept. I think it's just that barrier is tough, uh, is the toughest part 
but it's there are ways to break them and there are ways to still feel connected um and involved with your family without um feeling that burden um it's just you have to figure it out and what works best for you mm-hmm. um i know for me i had to realize that yeah i i am different in the sense that um well not only in my character but just also in my experiences and the things that i want to pursue um but does that necessarily mean that i have to um cut all ties off with my family and um just be a whole completely different person that doesn't even um want to recognize them no i still want to be able to help them um in the ways that i've been able to help myself and um keeping myself grounded in the fact that I'm doing all of this work, yes, to enhance my um, identities, but also to uplift my family. Um, Like, I know when I was writing my personal statements for grad school, a lot of what I was discussing was how I was a first-generation student and how a lot of my success wasn't based off of... um, wasn't based off of me being intentional about my academics because like that wasn't my strong suit but most mostly keeping in mind that my family wanted this for me and my family needed this from me mm-hmm. so finding what works best for you and finding out how you can utilize that that so-called burden of the cycle or of breaking the cycle to continue to be who you authentically want to be and need to be in order to get to a place of change. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, it, this is so much to take in, but it, it, you know, I think the most relieving part of it is if you read a lot, right. And, and you study a lot and, and pay attention to your surroundings, you can find links between what you're saying, right. And the importance of the overall picture. And what I mean by that is, Everything you just said, it's so relieving to hear because it's true, right? To live authentically is, it is extremely important, extremely, right? Because then if we mask ourselves every day, right, pretending to be something else, we are not living authentically, you know? Um, I know I was just talking a little bit about philosophy earlier, you know, about uh, existentialism. And my favorite existentialist is Simone de Beauvoir. And, you know she describes the most important virtue is authenticity Mm. and to live authentically, you know, and to not live authentically means, you know, that we don't necessarily enjoy everything in between. Mm -hmm. And the example that she uses is if you want to write a book, right. To actually enjoy the book that you wrote, you must have enjoyed. And I'm probably butchering this, but like I said, someone will call me out on it. So, (laughs) but you know, you, you have to enjoy the process in between. You actually have to like writing in order for you to like the book at the end of the day. Yeah. So I think it takes a certain person, and tell me if I'm wrong, please. It takes mm-hmm. a certain person to have the capacity to recognize generational cycles and 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 but also to enjoy, you know, to an extent unraveling those things and breaking the generational cycles. You know, because we are human beings. We not all of us have the same capacity to do things as somebody else. You know, no matter how much we like to think it. Some yeah. people have different conditions. Some people have, um, you know, come from different backgrounds or maybe can't deal with the same things in the same way. And it takes people to recognize that, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with everything you just said. <laughs> awesome. Completely so, agree. Wrapping up the episode, you know, you probably rec- you probably recognize this from uh did I just say recognize? Recognize. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> it it certainly felt like I said it. But anyways, um you probably recognize this from last year when, you know, Race to the Finish was just a baby. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I like to ask every guest if you could say one thing to the world, what would it be? Uh, I guess I'm asking you that now. So if you could say one thing to the world, what would it be? Don't allow the added pressures of society to rule your life. It may seem difficult at the time, but in reality, you create your own understanding of the world and your own perception of your belonging in the world and in society. So take into account that your experience matters, the work that you are doing matters, and your understanding of how the world works matters. And that these cycles, though like they suck and it may be very difficult to dismantle, will not continue to happen once we realize we have so much power than they allow us to think we have. And I think with that, I am done. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that was that was really powerful. And then if you if you listen to the first episode and you will probably listen to the second episode, I asked the guest, you know, one last question. So now instead of asking one last question is two. The second thing is a lot more simple, you know. Do you have any shout outs? You know, where can we follow you? Do you have anything to say to anyone that you want to say? Like, the floor is yours. Yeah, cool. Um, I actually want to thank all of the friends that I made uh, this past weekend at the Dungie Leadership Institute. I don't think I would have been able to effectively conceptualize this idea without the knowledge that they have given me this past week. I also want to thank my sister and my dad for being um, my biggest supporters, as well as my best friends, Gurneet, Zakia, Dwight, Brittany, Mercedes, Tyra, etc. You all know who you are. Um, my socials are um, pretty much the same, Manny, but with a V and then three E's at the end. I'm sure you can find it in the description. Um, but yeah, like follow me, listen to my rants when I go off at certain times, um, get into my fashion road if you are into that. Um, and yeah, be your authentic self with me because I will always be my authentic self with you. Awesome. All right, listeners, you can follow them on their social media. Just look up uh, the episode descriptions. I stress it every single time, you know, so because I want my community to read the episode descriptions because that's where you can find, you know, a lot more about our guests and a lot more about the show. So thank you, everyone, for joining the show. Thank you, Manny, for joining the show. I'm Absolutely. sure that you'll be on in the future again, you know, just how you were on for the second time. You know, let's hope for more. All right, everyone. You know where you can find us. Uh, Watch us on YouTube, Facebook, Apple, Spotify, Google, Podbean, all of that. So if you ever want to see us on other channels, just please shoot me an email, shoot me a message, and uh, we can work that out. All right, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye.